everyone. Welcome back to City Speak. This month, Clarence had a chance to sit down with an amazing mental health professional who also happens to be one of his closest friends and, in fact, was his college roommate. Today, we're lucky to be joined by Dr. Arthur Evans, the CEO of the American Psychological Association, the leading scientific and professional organization for psychology in the United States. For about six years now, Dr. Evans has been leading APA, a membership organization of more than 146,000 researchers, educators, clinicians, consultants, and students focused on promoting and disseminating psychological knowledge to benefit society and improve people's lives. Before joining APA, Dr. Evans spent 12 years as commissioner of the city of Philadelphia's Department of Behavioral Health and Intellectual Disability Services. In that post, he really led the transformation of the agency's approach to serving a wide range of people with complex needs, emphasizing the importance of data, elevating the voices of marginalized residents, and working to root out inefficiencies in the system. And under his leadership, the agency saved more than $110 million, which the city was able to reinvest in improving and expanding behavioral health services to reach more people. Since then, his work in Philadelphia has become an international model for successful community-driven, citywide behavioral health strategies. And Dr. Evans has been nationally recognized and received so many awards for his work, including being named an Advocate for Action by the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy in 2015. And that's just the beginning. The list goes on and on. So with that, let's get things started. Please enjoy Clarence's conversation with Dr. Arthur Evans from the American Psychological Association. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our next episode of Cities Speak. I am Clarence Anthony, your host and CEO and Executive Director of the National League of Cities. Our guest this month is an amazing professional, a leader, and a friend. And I will tell you that he is known uh, because of his knowledge and expertise in behavioral and mental health space, which is important in our nation. Uh, it's important to me, uh, and it's important to our municipal leaders as well. And this speaker and our guest is Dr. Arthur Evans, CEO of the American Psychological Association. And of course, I call him ACE. And I'm going to get to that, y'all, because this was and always will be one of my best friends and my college roommate. So I'm going to welcome Dr. Evans and let him say hello. How are you doing, Dr. Evans? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here, Clarence. So Dr. Evans, you and I started our journey together at Florida Atlantic University. And I'll never uh, forget that day that I was sitting in our dorm room, dorm seven, as a matter of fact, That's right. in, room, in room 207. And I was sitting there, a kid from rural Florida, Belle Glade, Florida, waiting on who was going to be my roommate. And I'll never forget the day that uh, not just you walked into the room, but your parents and your brothers and sisters and the whole crew. And I looked at you and I said, hey, I am so glad to see you. And we hugged and we've been friends ever since. I want to congratulate you on your journey. We both imagined our lives and we talked about it. But your journey has been amazing. So congratulations, Ace. 
Well, uh, thank you. And I, I remember that day uh, as well. You know, my, my family and I, we rolled thick. You know, every time I moved, <laughs> they moved with me. So, um, yeah, I do remember that day. And, and since we're telling um, about uh, college uh, nicknames, uh, it, mine was Ace and I called you Belglade because <laughs> uh, you were from Belglade. And and so uh, if I if I slip into Belglade every now and then, that's why, I, uh, you know, it, it comes from that. But, yeah, no, um, that was a really unlikely pairing because uh, FAU is very small. There were not very many uh, students of color on the campus. And the fact that we ended up in the same dorm room, uh, I thought was uh, just in- interesting. And n- not only that, but t- I think two people who had very similar life perspectives about wanting to um, to make a difference in whatever our career paths were taking us. One of the things that I always remembered was our conversations that we would have about uh, what we were going to do on campus, what we were going to do in life. And it always uh, impressed me that we both had that mission-driven desire in our career and what we wanted to do. Do you remember some of the the goals that we set at that time? Uh, I do. And it was uh, really interesting. You know, you reminded me of something that I hadn't thought about in years. And it was that when I went to FAU, I went to FAU specifically, one, because I I like the the program, the psychology program that uh, was there. But um, I also wanted to remake myself because, you know, I'd grown up in the same little community and all of the students from my area, my friends, they all went to the same colleges. They either went to FSU or they went to University of Florida or they went to University of Central Florida. And none of them went, literally went to FAU. None probably even heard of FAU. Um, and, uh, and I thought this was a really great opportunity to remake myself. And so I think ending up with you as my college roommate was not only fortuitous, but I think in some ways sort of divine intervention. Because I think one of the things that I learned a lot from you was you were very um, extroverted, at least uh, in terms of being able to get around campus. Everyone knew who you were. You you had these big ideas. And, and I remember uh, just really enjoying the idea of talking with you about how we together could really um, uh, do some things on campus to take some leadership positions. Uh, and we did that. Uh, you know, we were both in student government. We were both, you know, in our Black Student Union. We were both in all of these different organizations on campus. And I think, I know I probably wouldn't have done that if I hadn't been uh, paired with you as my roommate. Yeah, it's interesting. I think most people, uh, when they meet their roommate, they go out someplace and then they start talking about uh, their life, but we started talking about our goals uh, that we were going to take over the whole campus, and we sort of did. But also, I think one of the things that I remember about you was the fact that you were very goal oriented. You know, you may have spent that time uh, at Florida Atlantic, but you also spent time as an intern or a fellow. How did that help you uh, to shape your? personal vision for your career as well as professional? And where, where did you go? Well, I, at the time I was, um, I did a co-op at the uh, Army Air Medical Research Laboratory and I worked with uh, psychologists and other people who were working for the military 
to help. And they were working actually with army aviators, helicopter pilots, uh, and really trying to make the, the aviation environment safer for army helicopter pilots. And uh, we were doing what they called anthropomorphic studies because the, the, the helicopters had been designed for men. And this was the early 80s and women were being admitted to the military. And they wanted to make sure that these, uh, these helicopters that had been designed for, for men uh, could be safely operated by women who were smaller. They didn't have maybe some of the same kind of strengths that, that men have. So I was doing this sort of this interesting stuff. And I think uh, one of the things, you know, you talk about uh, having goals. You know, my goal at the time was to become a psychologist and probably do private practice and, um, you know, provide mental health services. Now, my career took a very different path uh, than that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, at the time, one of the things that I started to, to really learn uh, and appreciate was that no matter where I was going to end up, having these different kinds of experiences, very different experiences, all contributed to ultimately what I ended up doing, which was working in, in public policy. But, you know, at the time, I didn't realize how important that research background was going to be. You know, looking back now, I think it was very critical for me in terms of being a good public policy uh, person. Where did you go after that point? Because I know that you spent some time uh, in Philadelphia, for example, but where did you go from there? How did you get into this space? After I finished my training at uh, FAU, I got a, a master's in experimental. I went to University of Maryland for my PhD in clinical and community psychology. Uh, then I went to um, New Haven to Yale for my uh, internship. And that's really where I started my career. And I should say that while I was at University of Maryland, one of the other major milestones was interning at the American Psychological Association, uh, which I now <laughs> am the CEO, but I, I was actually an intern in graduate school. And I got exposed to the idea of public policy. Uh, as I said, I when I went into my training, I really saw myself being a clinician and I got exposed uh, to this idea that simply by through our advocacy, we can make a difference in not just you know a few thousand people's lives, but literally millions of people's lives, and that really fascinated me. So me, and so when I went to Connecticut and I started my career, I started sort of kind of typically. I was an administrator in some community-based programs, but probably about seven years in, a friend of mine called me and said they had this great position in state government. It was to bring up managed care. This was the early 90s, and they needed someone to come in and do that. And I did that, and I never looked back. I remember that experience of being in Washington, uh, where University of Maryland is, uh, in that, uh, that metropolitan area. I remember going to a meeting where I, as an intern, stood up, this is the, during the, the early days of the HIV epidemic, and I stood up and I said something about how important it was to get mental health counseling for people who were being tested for HIV. Because back then, if you got tested uh, and you were positive, it pretty much was, uh, you know, you probably weren't going to survive back then. And so we were talking about the importance of the getting that kind of uh, mental health intervention. And my comments got picked up in a newsletter 
in multiple newsletters throughout Washington. And I'm thinking, I'm a little intern. <laughs> and, you know, I make this statement and it gets picked up by all of these. And it really stuck with me how important one, make, making these kinds of statements and taking positions was, but how impactful that could be. Uh, and, and so when my friend called me in Connecticut and said, you know, you know, come to state government and, and work with us to do this, I really jumped on that because I really saw it as getting back to that, that idea that uh, as an individual, I could have this greater impact. So state government uh, compared to local government is like night and uh, day. <laughs> night and day. <laughs> I, I often say it's full contact sports <laughs> when you move from state That's to right. local government. That's right. But being able to work uh, for a city like Philadelphia, how is that for you as a professional? And I'm going to ask you about the word impact. First of all, I never thought of myself as ever working in in city government. I I love state government, but you are right. It is a very different animal, uh, so to speak, when you're talking about state government and city government or national government. You know, in city government, you are with the people. I, I remember, you know, and I have such respect for mayors because mayors are dealing with issues real time, all the time all the time. And I just remember, you know, when I was in state government, if someone, you know, stood up in a meeting that I was in, I was, I was a p- pretty high official. I was actually number two person in state government by, by the time I left in my, my agency. And so I would often be in meetings where people would stand up and say, you know, Dr. Evans, you know, you ought to do X, Y, and Z. And I could always make some, you know, policy statement or say, you know, there's someone in your community that can deal with that. Well, when you're in city government, those issues are your issues. There are no issues that come before you that you don't have to take care of then. I, I remember, you know, sometimes the mayor would call up and say, you know, uh, Dr. Evans, you know, Bob Smith is at the corner of Market and, you know, you know, 15th Street. You need to go down there and get him, right? Because he's out in the street and he's acting, you know. You know, so those issues, you know, when you're in city and national and state government are somewhat you know, theoretical and conceptual. When you're in city government, those are issues you have to solve today at that moment. Uh, And I thought it was just a great, great experience uh, for me because I had both experiences that, that sort of more national and state level, but then how does this play out in everyday life in the people's lives and at city level? One of the things that when I, was tracking your career. I mean, you had a real focus on uh, why it was important uh, to center the voices of the marginalized communities in every job and how you transformed that system. Why was that important? And was it a challenge to do so at state, federal, or I'd say more local level for you? You know, it's not as much of a challenge as people would think. Uh, I think we just made better decisions when we centered uh, people uh, in our decisions. I I had a policy where um, that there was no funding decision that we would make unless people with lived experience were at the table. People knew when I walked in the room because as a commissioner, I was a commissioner in, in Philadelphia. When I walked in the room and, you know, my team had a recommendation on who was going to get funded, they knew the first question that was going to come out of my mouth, which is, 
who is at the table? And were people from the community at the table? Because if people weren't at the table, they had to go back and make sure that people from the community were at the table. And I think just as a practical matter, we just made better decisions. Uh, so it's not, it wasn't just, you know, it's not just a values thing. Uh, it was that from a practical standpoint, we spent public dollars much more effectively because we had the voice of the community at the table when we were making those decisions. And so I did that. I've done that throughout my career, but especially when I was commissioner and we were dealing with these complex issues that range from, from homelessness to child protection to uh, people in the criminal justice system. I mean, there, there is no issue that you can deal with in uh, government, uh, in any city uh, for that matter, that these issues don't touch. And one of the things I, I would say quite often is if I were to talk to any of my counterparts, police department, fire department, libraries, any of them, and I said, what are the top three issues that you, you're dealing with? I guarantee you that behavioral health issues would be in the top three. Even the librarian, you know, like, what, what do you mean the library? Well, people in urban areas who are mentally ill uh, and homeless will go to libraries because that's a place that they can be accepted. And staff in the libraries don't know how to deal with them. So I, so when I go to the librarian, you know, the person over the li- library system and say, you know, we want to work with you, they're like, absolutely, because they're dealing with those issues. Even, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples is licensing and inspection. They're like, well, what in the world does licensing and inspection have to do with mental health? Well, the people who do license and inspection, they also go out when there are people who are hoarding and having other kinds of challenges. And so a lot of the issues that they're dealing with, even though they're dealing with the physical structures, have to deal with people. And if you are dealing with people, these issues are going to emerge. And so I, I just learned that, you know, especially city government, you, you see these issues and they move away from this sort of theoretical and conceptual and you see how they play out in real life, in real time. And I really learned the importance of of uh, partnering across government to deal with these issues. And then again, having that live experience there to help us guide uh, and make good decisions in those areas. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at City Speak, check out our friends over at the How to Really Run a City podcast. It's hosted by a couple of smart, hilarious, and outspoken former two-term mayors, Atlanta's Kasim Reed and Philadelphia's Mayor Michael Nutter. Each episode features a different A-list guest sharing their secrets about how to really get stuff done in the urban laboratories that we call cities. So check out How to Really Run a City, brought to you by the nonprofit Philadelphia Citizen, and co-hosted by award-winning journalist and author Larry Platt, wherever you get your podcasts and at the philadelphiacitizen.org slash podcasts. I'm going to bring that a little closer because uh, most of the listeners of this podcast are municipal officials, and they're dealing with the issue of uh, behavior health challenges, mental health challenges in their communities. Uh, Having been a a mayor of a small town myself, I know it can be overwhelming with the number of issues related to this topic. What advice would you give 
a city leader who really wants to make a change in this space or start addressing it as emergency within their community? Well, the first thing I would say is that you have to understand as a city leader, you cannot move any kind of agenda without having a strategy around behavioral health issues in your community. You can't name one issue. You can't think about economic development. You can't think about what's happening in your schools. You cannot deal with the issue of homelessness. You cannot deal with, you know, you go down the list. These issues are playing out. And if you don't have a strategy to deal with those issues within the context of those agendas that you're trying to move, you're not going to be as effective. So that's number one is just to recognize. And I think most people in government recognize it. But here's the other thing that people have to recognize. The way mental health resources and systems are set up in the, in our country, they are set up at uh, either the state level of government or they maybe the county level, but not the city level. And so there's a disconnect between how these issues are playing out at the city level and where the decision-making is around the resources that you need to deal with them. The reason that I was commissioner in Philadelphia is because Philadelphia is one of those few places in the country where the city and the county are are the same. And Pennsylvania has a county-based system. So all of the resources were coming to the county, in this case, the city, uh, and we were able to use those resources to address those issues. And so the first thing I would say to, to people, once you recognize the problem and how they're, they're playing out in your community, is to make sure that you have a relationship with uh, a partnership with the people who are managing these uh, these resources and these issues within the other levels of government. If you're in a small state like Connecticut, where I was, those resources and decisions were made at the state level. Uh, larger states tend to, ha- to uh, have those decisions made at the county level. And so having those relationships is going to be very important. So I want to go back uh, to where we started a little bit and ask you if you could go back and give a piece of advice to us uh, sitting in a dorm room. Sometimes we'd be just talking two and three and four o'clock in the morning about totally nothing sometimes. (laughs) How we were going to save the world. (laughs) How we're going to save the world. You know, where should we put Earl and those kinds of issues? If you had to give us some kind of advice as college students who was unsure about what we wanted to do what our careers were going to be, because that was August of 1979, if you can remember. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say uh, to us, given our journey? I I wish you weren't on the the line, because I'm going to say something really nice about you. And I know if I say something nice about you, it's going to go to your head. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, but, but, you know, I, I think you were enormously... Um, influential for me as a person and as as a career. And I was reminded of that recently when you and I were in a meeting in Washington, D.C., and we were talking about an issue and nobody was really talking about it. And you just leaned into it and you just framed the issue. And, And in fact, your opening statement became the framework for that whole meeting. And that just reminded me of how important it is to lean into uh, issues and to not be afraid and, and to that a lot of times we have good ideas and good suggestions, recommendations, those kinds of things. 
but we're timid or we can be timid. And one of the things that I always looked up to you for was your ability just to walk into a room, uh, to say what you wanted to say, to really change the dynamic of a room. Because I think in, in public policy and in, in government, so much of what gets done is is shaped by the the rhetoric around an issue, how an issue is talked about, how it's framed, uh, the passion that people bring to that. And uh, I think if I were giving that advice to the early uh, Arthur and Clarence, I would say, look, um, the issues out there are complex. There are many issues out there. It will be easy to slide and to go along with the, the status quo. But if you really want to make a difference on an issue, you have to be willing to challenge the status quo. Because if the status quo was working for everyone, everything would be fine. Uh, and so if, if you are going along with the flow, then you're not really meeting your obligation to uh, meet the needs of the people who are not being well served. And so I would just say to, to lean into that. And I think I, I started to lean into that er- later in my career when I had a little more more um, confidence. But I think I would have said to do that much earlier. That That is a good strategy. And I'll also say that... Uh meeting you in August of 1979, when you walked in that room with your parents and your family, really changed me and impacted me in a really positive way uh, because I drove from rural uh, Florida or rural Belle Glade, and I came to that college by myself. And I didn't have that family connection that rolled as deep as you had. And I remember your your dad uh, working for NASA and your mom being an educator and meeting your brothers and sisters and say, oh, my gosh, this is what I want. This is what is an image that I needed to see uh, coming into Florida Atlantic University. But more so, we were very much the same, but very different, even though people think I am the talker. Uh, Dr. Artha Evans can talk you to sleep (laughs) about totally nothing. And so you did teach me how to pontificate just by looking at a potato and having a 30-minute conversation with you uh, in our dorm room about totally nothing. (laughs) Thank you. uh, You're welcome. (laughs) I I also will let the audience know that, um, you know, I was your best man uh, in your wedding. Uh, and you found your life partner in love, uh, Claudine, at, at Florida Atlantic University, who is our friend, both of our friends, and uh, has been a significant part of our lives and your world and your success. And I'm so proud of that. When I, when I pitched this idea about you being on this podcast, it was about uh, our experience and our meeting each other, uh, two Florida guys now leading two national associations, the National League of Cities and the American Psychological Association. Who would have thought that our careers would pass the way it has and align the way it has? That I would call you, like I did in college, for advice. Uh, on an issue that America is challenging. And our organizations would find ourselves, like us as roommates, working together uh, to address 
this important issue that American leaders, they're facing. But you wrote me something that I want to share, and that is this concept that who would have imagined uh, two college roommates ending up where we are in our careers? How much did those early days influence our path versus did our destinies bring us together for some reason? I think we have an unlikely story, and I think that people would find it of value to hear about our journey and even some of the stories about our college days. And I think that's right. We may have started at FAU talking about what impact we were going to have on America, um, and we're doing that, Ace. And I must say to you, I'm so proud of you, and I brag about you being my college roommate all the time because of what you have done in the lives that you've touched. So I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for being my friend and my advisor um, and my support system. Well, I want to thank you as well and uh, Bell Glade <laughs> and uh, just say that, uh, like I, I said earlier, I think that, that I, I don't think you will ever understand the impact that you had on the way I think of myself, my career, what I'm able to do. And I know that you've had that impact on lots of people throughout your career. And I think it's, it's great that you're in the position that you're in now so that you can continue to do that work. The thing that I have come to um, be more open about at this point in my career, because you know, I got a few more years and I'm, re- I'm retiring, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the goal here. But, you know, the thing that, you know, early in my career, I never would have said something like, you know, I'm in government or I'm in this position because, you know, I'm really trying to make life better for uh, people who are at the margins of our society. Right. But that's why I became a psychologist. And even though I didn't say that throughout my career, that has been um, a real theme. And I think that for many of us, as we're going through our careers, we sort of hide that aspect. We think that we have to be a good administrator. We think we have to be a, a good, you know, manager or whatever. Uh, and we don't never share with people what's like, what's your why? why? Why are you motivated? Why do you work so hard at this work? And I think what I've come to understand is that when I share that part, you know, that that piece that that brought us together, I think it it helps other people to be more open uh, and more, frankly, more motivated because they know that the people who are leading their organization or their group are trying to do that. So uh, that is something certainly that has come out of that pairing of us early in our careers. And I think it, looking back, you know, I, I think we should just embrace that, that that's an important aspect. And I think many people who find themselves in government, one of the things I, I, I just always was amazed at is if you are in government, Uh, If you do these government jobs, most of the people that are doing, you know, if you're running a city, you're running a multi-million, billion-dollar organization. If you were in the private sector, you'd be getting paid ten times, twenty times what you're getting. You know, so the people that tend to be in government are people, I think, who have a natural proclivity to uh, wanting to change and make people's lives better. And I think uh, leaning into that, embracing that, I think can be. Um, very empowering and uh, motivating for the people that you're working with. I agree. I think we always talked about 
uh, living a mission-driven life, uh, even young. We talked about that. And you know what? The next uh, podcast we have or discussion we have, you talked about it, and it, it takes a lot of time to dig into it. It's about purpose. It really is having a purposeful life. And I feel that uh, we've done that with our work. So let me thank Dr. Arthur Evans, uh, ACE, my college roommate, for spending time here today to not only talk about his journey, but the impact of public service, uh, the impact that we all can have in our roles as municipal leaders, and remembering, I think, why we did and why we do what we do. But that journey of life and the destination, sometimes you don't understand or know why you're where you are, but it really can end up at the same place, dealing with different issues, but having that purpose and mission. So Dr. Evans, thank you so much, Ace, for being here and uh, spending this time uh, with uh, my audience. Well, thank you, Clarence. It's been a blast uh, to reconnect it this way. And uh, I, um, again, very proud of where, you, where you've uh, come and what you're accomplishing and uh, wish you all the best as we continue to partner uh, to make uh, people's lives better. Thanks for listening to City Speak with Clarence Anthony. If you like the show, let us know. Share this episode with your friends and make sure to subscribe. We're curious to hear what you think, what you want more of, and how we can improve. If you have feedback or an idea for a guest you'd like Clarence to sit down with, send us your thoughts at citiespeakpodcast at nlc.org. Join us next month for a new episode. Like and subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.